When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's Miller and Condon. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Good morning. Welcome in once again. It's Miller and Condon on the air with you. Back at it after a good weekend. Ready to talk the world of sports with you for the next couple of hours. Trent Condon here. Ken Miller in California. John Lamb in for the final day before Ken gets back tomorrow from vacation. Mr. Lamb, great weekend. Football capped it off, but plenty of basketball throughout the weekend to talk about. How are you? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. Glad it's warming up for us, too. Yeah, we're getting there. I got the shorts out today. (laughs) I saw that. It's a good day. We're hitting 40. That means the shorts come out and... Might be the only day I get it here uh, for the foreseeable future, but we're going to take advantage today and we're going to take advantage of a little makeup basketball tonight here on the radio airwaves. Eight o'clock tonight on the boys' side, it will be Johnston at Dowling Catholic. You and I will have the call for that one, and we'll also be on the call for the girls' side to kick things off. Both games on CISN TV. You can catch the stream there after we're out on Friday night watching Valley Johnston. So, Johnston and back to back looks for us as. The Tigers got it done on the boys' side. It was Dragons in the girls' side, and we're raring to go for another night of hoops, but we still got some football to talk about. Is that okay with you? I love it. This was a great weekend for football. I even watched both games this weekend. I, it was it was electric. Locked in, ready to go, 21-3. Oh, yes, it felt like it was over in the early game. We'll get into that here in just a moment. Coming up for you today on the BMW of Des Moines guest list, as we do each and every Monday, we'll kick things off. Scott Dockerman will join us from The Athletic. Bloody a Hawkeye talk for them. And speaking of the Hawkeyes, a monster matchup as it pertains to importance out at Sleepy State College this evening. Six o'clock tip off as they'll face off against Penn State, a team they saw just nine days ago and got the big victory against them. We'll see how different that one's going to be. We'll break that down, talk some football. What else is going on in the world of Scott Dockerman coming up at the bottom of the hour here at 1030. We'll kick off the 11 o'clock hour with Rob Doster from the field of 68. Longtime national sports basketball, college basketball's columnist, and we'll get into a lot with uh, Doster. Fun guy to know, D3 basketball player back in the day. You guys can swap stories to hoops from back in the day. I think you guys might be right around the same age. He played at, I want to say he played at like Vassar or something like that. He played at a college out in the Northeast. Okay. That used to be an all-girls college and became... So he, he was really good then. Yeah, he was good He ball. didn't have the surgery. He was able to get on the team. <laughs> no, no, no. no. They, they then allowed... Oh, yes, I got you. Yes, I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I look forward to meeting this guy. Yeah, good guy, national guy, and a lot of conversations, including, boy, maybe the most eye-opening game of the weekend in college basketball. What Kentucky did at Kansas. Popped him. Not just getting in there and winning. And it felt like every time, just waiting for Kansas to make a run, and they couldn't. They just couldn't do it. That Kentucky team is loaded. Deshibwe, National Player of the Year. He is. He's right there. Yeah. I watched him in high school have like 40 rebounds 
at this Adidas circuit event in Atlanta and just, I mean, grown men were crying leaving the gym <laughs> after he just abused them. He is number one in the country in both offensive rebound efficiency and defensive rebound efficiency. I've never seen that before. Yeah, well, my my roommate and, and one of my best friends, I mean, he, Kenneth Freed, he played mm-hmm. uh, eight years in the NBA, made $70 million. Yep. All he did was rebound the basketball. Right, yeah. All yep. he did. You have one skill, and you can do it at an elite level. You can find a way. Reggie yeah. Evans. There you go. That's what he did, and he could rebound. He could go, yeah. And that was it. <laughs> he could rebound, and he made a very nice career out of that. And Toshibwe, yeah, he's going to find a place in the next level because he is an elite level. But eye-opening experience over the weekend. We'll talk college basketball on a national scale with Doster at about 11.05. We'll wrap up the guest list at 11.30. Nick Oson will give us his viewpoint as Iowa State gets it done against Missouri. Tense moments during the first half before they come back and get the coast to a victory against Missouri. And now... Oh boy, Tuesday night, a return trip down to Kansas. Of course, we know the game and how close it was and the what-ifs and everything else with the Jayhawks. And now you get them back at Hilton on Tuesday night. How crazy is that? Because people are hitting me up. They know I got no Cyclone connections. They're hitting me up for tickets. I'm like, I I can't help you out. You're probably getting the same, Liam. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about that Friday. I got people offering lots of money. (laughs) Got to get those tickets. Got to get them. Got to get them in there and get people revved up for Kansas. Iowa State at Hilton tomorrow night. We'll talk about that with Nick Oson. A whole lot more coming up at 1130. So that's the BMW guest list for today. We'll finish things up today as I'll give out my picks for Monday Night Basketball. Got a couple of games to jump off the page. We'll get into that at about 1150. So let's get into it right now. John, and let's start with what we saw first yesterday, and that was, of course, Kansas City up 21-3. First three possessions up and down the field, doing whatever they want. And then with the missed time management at the end of the first half, not getting the field goal, they come out, they get the ball right away, don't get a score, give it right back to Cincinnati. And, and during that time, as Cincinnati is making the comeback, and it's 21-10, should have been 24-10 at minimum at the half, there was just something interesting that felt like it was happening inside the building. It just You could almost feel that nervous energy starting to build as it continued on. Then 21-13, they get the touchdown, two-point conversion, 21-21. And it, it didn't feel like, I guess, your standard arrowhead crowd to me. You could feel that nervous energy, and there's just something about Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati team. Yeah, I think everybody got a little too sleepy after the tailgate, you know, in the the first half. You know, they score three points the entire second half, and you have the gunslinger of the year. Just, it's amazing. Yeah, but you could feel it just sucked the juice out of that stadium. It's unfortunate um, being a local, and and that's one of the only football stadiums I've been to, but you got to love. What Joe Burrow's doing. Tours AC year ACL a year ago. He's back. When he was drafted, they were the worst team in the NFL. Um, you know, going to school in Kentucky. I, I was in Cincinnati a lot, and that is a sports city. Mm-hmm. And they love their bungles. And so it's really cool to see. And shoot, maybe they parlayed the Kansas trip with uh, you know, watching watching the Cincinnati Bengals right. get that victory in, in KC. Who knows? Probably Who knows? a lot of crossover fans there hitting both sides of it. The Cincinnati airport is in Kentucky. Yes, it's on the other side Northern of the river. Kentucky, yes, yeah. sir. So, Erlinger. Erlinger, that's where it is. There you so, go. I, I continue to kind of think back, and it was difficult because you go right into the next game. And trying to just wrap my mind around Kansas City. We have a couple of guys on, Mitch Holtis, the voice yep. of the Chiefs, He's and we talk to him star. every week. He's great. Yeah. 
and the expectation level that has just continued to raise. And when you have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, that's going to happen. But him, Nick Athen, our other Chiefs guy, and when we talk with them, you can tell the confidence there. And Nick especially, he's well, the only thing that can beat the Chiefs is the Chiefs. Well, that's right in its own realm, but we're talking about the NFL. And the NFL, well, you got a dynasty in front of you. It's going to be easy, on and on and on. And it just doesn't play out that way. Continually, and maybe it goes to show, as we found out on Saturday, at least it sounds that way, that Tom Brady's retiring. You know, the context of what he did in his career. And we're going to look back, and he's already considered the greatest of all time, mm-hmm. as he should. And the best winner that we've seen at the NFL level and all these different things. But you think of a team like Kansas City, built the way that they are. Winners of 11 out of 12 in dominating fashion in so many times. And then you get to this spot in one bad half of football, and you're done. And the difficult nature of getting over that hump continually. Nobody thought Cincinnati was going in to win that game. I mean, for the most part, yeah, there were some Bengal fans out there, and there are people. But you thought Kansas City, at the very least, was going to find a way. And it shows you the nature of this game and how the NFL is different than seemingly every sport. You can have everything going your way and can feel like you are invincible and a bad half of football and you're going home and not making it to the Super Bowl for the third consecutive year. I felt like it was a foregone conclusion. They were there, they were locked in, and then the second half happens. So your takeaway from that, just the difficult nature of winning and winning at the highest level for the Super Bowl, John. Yeah, I mean, elite athletics in general, the margin of error is so small. I mean, the sense of urgency you have to have, I mean, you have to be a dog of dogs every second, you know, every single play, and you have to do it before the play. You don't just, you know, show up and and that just shows like you know how talented all these players are cuz they're going to they smell blood, they're going to eat you alive. And it's the same with those coaches on the sideline. You know, I know I know a whole bunch of of high-level basketball coaches that sleep maybe 3-4 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And all they do is just prepare and plan, prepare and plan and you know, think through scenarios. But that is just elite athletics, and that's why, I mean, they make so much money. It's, it's as much of a mental game and, and having sustained mental capacity as it is a physical game. You know, it's, it's, it's such a cool thing to see that, uh, you know, nothing's out of reach. Nothing's impossible. You know, obviously I wanted the Chiefs to win, but it's a beautiful thing that, that happened yesterday, and, and we have to be appreciative that we even get to see it online, on air, and, and on the TV. Another conference championship loss for Andy Reid, mm-hmm. the offensive game plan in the second half. And what about Cincinnati, what they did? Just dropping eight into coverage. It really seemed to confuse Mahomes and made him uncomfortable back there. You go to the final sequence when they get the field goal to, of course, force overtime and then get the ball to start things up. But it just it never felt right in the second half of the game. It just never felt like the Chiefs football that we anticipate now. And now it's an offseason where decisions are going to be have to be made here pretty soon with this team. You know, how long can Kelsey, with the punishment that he takes, how much longer does he have to play at this high elite level? Tyree Kill, greatest speedster certainly in the NFL. Oh my currently. gosh, yeah. But we don't have guys that these speed guys, they don't last for fifteen years, right? No. There are this glimmer, this hope that you have, and then five, six, seven years, and then it goes. You get an injury, whatever it is, that speed just starts to dissipate. And what that means for them and the young receivers that they brought in, Pringle, Hardman, these guys have not hit, I don't think, at the level that many people anticipated. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, same thing. Oh, what a great draft pick this is going to be. Now they have another weapon. Jared McKinnon turned out to be better than Mm -hmm. he was at the running back position, certainly late in the season. They ran the ball effectively, and Mahomes didn't run it outside of that first drive 
where he had the play picked up, what, 11, I think, on that yep. one. I thought we were going to see a whole lot more of that, and certainly when they're dropping eight, you'd figure that there were going to be some running lanes for Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, I thought the same thing. When they, when they were dropping eight, it, it, they literally forced him to, all right, you got to run the ball and you got to get six or seven every time. Mm-hmm. And they and were. That was another were. thing. And he didn't. And, you yeah. know, you get into that, you know, that gunslinger mentality and, <laughs> and throwing those touchdowns all over the field and, you know, all these yards that he's accumulated over his career, that's not an easy mental switch to make. It's not an easy mental switch to say, all right, well, I'm just going to quarterback slide this thing every six or seven yards and we're just going to putt down the field instead of, you know, pinpointing his big time receivers and getting, uh, getting in the end zone. First two plays of overtime. They get the ball, and at that point, it felt like, all right, we've seen this, we saw it last week. Get the ball, they march right down the field, boom, game's over. And your first pass goes to Robinson. And your second pass goes to Robinson. You get Travis Kelsey mm-hmm. and Tyreek Hill, and you're going to Robinson the first two times, and then the long third down play, where they take a take, try to take a shot there. It just, it was such an odd, odd game. But credit to Joe Burrow. And I'll be honest, Joe Burrow, the season that he had at LSU was great. I didn't anticipate this. I thought he could become a good NFL quarterback. Certainly Super Bowl in year two, no. But the way there's just something about him. There's a certain confidence. And I've told this story before. I remember hearing years ago, it was 10, 12 years ago during Super Bowl week, and Drew Brees was talking about the quarterback position. And he was talking about what it takes, not physically, He said the physical part, most every quarterback that's in the league can make the throws. They have the requisite arm strength. Yeah, some guys got bigger arms than others. You know, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, those guys got hoses. But it's not about that. He said he thinks it's up to 90% of the game is the mental capacity. And Joe Burrow, the mental capacity, understanding what he's seeing out there. But maybe more importantly, the way he carries himself and the confidence, the arrogance, little goofiness too. But after the game, as he's going on and shaking hands, and it was a Tracy Wilson was trying to track yeah. him down for the sideline yep. interview, and he's just going and hugging everybody. You could see that a guy like that, how he elevates things. John, you see this in your walk of, of work, too, where there are just certain guys that people gravitate to. And even at the NFL, you're talking about adults, and this guy goes in there, 23 years old, and people right away, 35-year-old guys, just gravitate to him because they're leaders. It's something you can't really quantify. You just see it when it shows up, and it does in a big way with Burrow. Oh, my gosh. This dude's, this dude's a G. I mean, he comes in with those diamond earrings. Yeah. I, I saw one interview. I could score 12, 15 points in the NBA. <laughs> you know, and, and I know that he, he has been incredibly, incredibly prepared for this. I think about the Mannings. You know, I know, his, I know Burrow's dad's a, a longtime Division I coach. Everyone claims him here in, in Iowa and yeah. names Iowa. I've seen a whole bunch of pictures online, which is so sweet. But he's prepared for this. And you talk about those older guys gravitating toward this young man who, you know, he's an, he's an alpha dog, but at the same time, those old guys have seen everybody. You know, he, they've seen people phase out. They've seen those, those teammates that start strong the first two months and, and where are they the last bit of the season? Mm-hmm. So what it tells me about Joe Burrow is he's an incredibly consistent leader. Right. He, he, I'm sure he's in the film room. I'm sure he's text messaging his offensive line. I'm sure he is going above and beyond to create that team dynamic. Okay. And that, that selfless mentality. And, and you have to give credit to, I would say his father that, you know, he really prepared him for this, this elite level of a stage. Right. No, no one, 
no one can say, hey, draft this guy. One year later, you're going to be in the Super Bowl. I mean, that is yeah. that is unbelievable. And so it has to be all those little things. Okay, And, you know, like you said about Drew Brees and, and, and how mentally consistent you have to be. Well, when you perform at this high level and you're constantly training at this high level, both mind and body, it becomes really easy. It becomes really easy to walk in there with, you know, 24 karat gold, diamond earrings, you know, perfectly gelled, the grease hair going on. Like, yeah, absolutely, man. I, if I would have seen that and we would have done our picks Friday, I would have totally, right. totally picked the Bengals. Gone the other way. Right. Yeah. But it, it, it's all encompassing. It, it's a beautiful thing that, that he can do that. Um, and you just, at the end of the day, I mean, someone that in my capacity, skill development, professional development, you just hope that he's using that platform, you know, that way the rest of his life. You know, that, that he is hugging those teammates still, that he is continuing to reach out and being a leader because, you know, people are watching. And so far, he's a, he's a good one to watch. Although I know we couldn't afford those earrings. No, 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 no. That takes a lot to get those things. And, well, he's got the contract to go along with it. <laughs> Andy Reid, another loss in a conference championship game. He was one of four when he was at Philadelphia, one and four with Philly. The only victory came in uh, 2004. They went on to lose to the Patriots in the Super Bowl that year. Of course, a couple years back, that loss to the Patriots. Mm-hmm. And, Another meltdown, another meltdown for an Andy Reid team that was the favorite of those losses now that he has. They were favorites in five of those six losses that he had in the NFC Championship game. So I had heard a conversation, I think it was Friday, where people were just talking about him, where he kind of fits on in the pantheon of great NFL coaches. You got your upper tier, you got your Chuck Knowles and Bill Belichick's and kind of that elite of the elite level. And that next tier... If this doesn't change, if they don't get another Super Bowl before Andy Reid decides to to hang it up, this is going to be a part of his legacy as a guy that had great regular season teams, but when it came to conference championship games, there were struggles. And now you look at this loss here, one of the biggest losses that we certainly had, up 18 in a conference championship game at home, and to blow it. The loss that they had in the AFC Championship game against the Patriots four years back. This is a continuing to be a conversation that's going to continue. He got the Super Bowl, did it three years ago now with Kansas City, but it's at the very least going to be certainly a talking point with him. All right, speaking of coaching resumes and Kyle Shanahan, another yeah. blown lead. I saw this stat. Over the last 27 playoff games, teams with a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter have lost two games. Both times, it was the head coach of San Francisco in Kyle Shanahan. That one, it felt like they had it. 17-7, they have completely befuddled the Rams. It was the same narrative that we'd heard. McVay just can't figure it out against his protege in Kyle Shanahan. Interception in the middle of the field looked like that was going to be over. Pops out of his hands. And there we go. 2017, the Rams go on to the Super Bowl. And boy, that team, I love the way they're built. I love the way that the 49ers play. But that's also part of their DNA now is these blown leads in the fourth quarter and Shanahan in big moments going back to when he was a coordinator in Atlanta. Just not good enough to get over that hump and put teams away. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, was, it was a great game, period, first and foremost. And it, it just moves on to the thought process of quarterback. I, I don't think right now it's, oh, you know, Shannon's he's an underachiever. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I know that... You know, they say the same thing about Andy Reid in terms of always, but you're getting there. You're getting your team and you're giving them a chance to perform at the highest level with a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, that is not for the faint of heart. And it just leads into 
they do have holes. They do have missing pieces on that team. I hate the whole fire the guy right away. Right. Get get him to those games. I mean, that is unbelievably difficult. Now you have to kind of look internally as an organization and say, where are we falling short? And to me, it is the quarterback. Yeah. I love Jimmy G. I thought he's great. I, I, I enjoy his whole stor- storied career. I love his, his journey, his process. I think it's unbelievable. I love that he played in the OVC at Eastern <laughs> Illinois. Big fan. But at the end of the day, there's still a lot of holes there. I mean, give that guy a, a Cooper Cup. Like, yeah, right. What, what if he had one of those guys, mm-hmm. right? Wes Welker. Like, one of those slot receivers that is just electric with their routes, super disciplined with their footwork, and has that breakaway good speed. I don't know. Because they got a dude know. with Debo, right? Right. But he's a different, he's a hybrid now. They made him also running back, and he's a lead at that level along with what he does in the game. Kittle is excellent, but let's be honest. Kittle had the touchdown. Yep. He didn't show up in a big way this playoff, though. It wasn't certainly the George Kittle that I anticipated we would see. He's been really banged up throughout his career. Mm-hmm. You wonder, are injuries starting to catch up? Or it just wasn't that connection that we saw, certainly early in Kittle's career, when he was playing at such a high level. Because I thought there were going to be opportunities there. And the way they run the football, you think, boy, up the seam and him just posting guys up, that he was going to have a game where he could have, I don't know, seven catches for 80 yards and a touchdown instead. Two catches, 27 yards and a touchdown out of Kittle. I just anticipated more. But you're right. Outside of that, Ayuk is, I think, a disappointment from where they drafted him. He's fine. Mm-hmm. But you're right. They, they need another weapon there. So I got a theory. I'll float this one out to you. Let's hear it. Saturday, getting ready for day of basketball and rumblings coming out. Tom Brady's retiring. And then Adam Schefter breaks the news. He is retiring. And then later on that evening, we get... Tom Brady's dad say it not so fast. He hasn't made an official decision. Now, Schefter has not backed down from his report. He has continued on, him and Jeff Darlington, the two from ESPN that broke this story. You know where Brady grew up, right? He's a Bay Area boy. Oh, don't even go there. There's and no way. Who did he grow up rooting for? Joe Montana. Montana. Where do his parents still live? Bay Area. Is, maybe, just maybe... Tom Brady saying, I'd like to give it another shot, but I don't want to do it in Tampa. I want to come home for my year 45, and I want to do one final season with San Francisco, with the team that they have, with an offense that is geared more towards a running game, and go that direction and go to Kyle Shanahan and say, let's figure this out. Let's figure it out. I will be your quarterback for one final season. Anything to the theory? Where does, get you salivating? Well, this is where I immediately go. Where does Giselle live? Because <laughs> if she lives in the Bay Area, I would at least let this theory continue. Yeah, yeah. If not, I'm going to shut it down right away. I think Brady has, has oh my gosh, unbelievable. I mean, he's literally what we can talk about to any sport, young sport player mm-hmm. about perseverance, right? About believing in self, about preparation, about, you know, all the little intangibles that, that make this, this game and so many other games so beautiful. But no. Not buying it. He's, he's going home to his girl. I mean, he has to. I mean, I know that that's kind of the big deal, and I get it. I mean, it is so difficult to be a professional athlete, to be a professional coach, and then to be a family man. Those ones that do it are, are a dime a dozen, and they're incredible. It's just, it's, it amazes me. But I, I do believe 
because I'll read all those crazy little articles that pop up online. I mean, about sports and families and entertainment, all that mm-hmm. dumb stuff. And I think he, I think he's going home. He he's doesn't want, he doesn't want to lose that. Yeah. He, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I think his oldest son is getting ready to start high school next year too. I think he's going to be a, a ninth grader. So that goes hand in hand. You certainly understand that. It makes sense. But after leading the NFL and passing yards and passing touchdowns this year and to hang it up, I don't know. It just it feels odd, but you're right. It's more than just what you're doing on the field. Family's also a part, and he's been along for a really, really long time. Probably just might be time to say, I've had enough. Plus, those taxes dead. in California are <laughs> demon. Look at you. Look at you over there. John Lamb in for Ken. It's Miller and Cotton here, KXNO. All right, before we wrap things up, one final thing. My wife, huge football fan. Now, I'm still trying to get her into the basketball front, John. Maybe you're, you can help me out here because she's not a hoop fan. She loves her football, though. So we're sitting after the game last night and just, all right, got the kids to bed, kind of what we just saw, how great that was, on and on and on. And she starts talking about Stafford. And she's a Vikings fan, mm-hmm. watched Stafford twice a year against her Vikings every single time. And she always said she always felt so bad for him because the Lions stunk and it didn't yeah. matter what they tried to do. They could never right, find the right combination. They get a good receiver and then the offensive line sucks and just battered. Now, all those games where physically you could tell that guy just kept getting up and kept taking it. For a guy like Stafford to go to the Rams, get McVay in his back pocket, and they met by chance. Did you hear that story in the offseason before the trade happened? They just happened to be I at did. the same resort. Uh-huh, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a real believable one because you don't want to get into the tampering things. They just happened to be there, and then the wheels were in motion for them to come together. I'm the same way. He's an easy guy to root for. There's, It feels like we can poke holes in so many quarterbacks. You know, Tom Brady, He is. he's a different cat, and... Sleeping in the hyperbolic chamber and, and every all the weird things that he does and drinking gallons of water a day and it just it's odd. He's a weird dude, right? And Mahomes, he's got the weirdo brother, and you can do all these things for all the quarterbacks. <laughs> it's hard with Stafford though to come up with that. Just seeing, at least for me too, the physical pounding that he took in Detroit, knowing this organization stinks. You're never being able going to be able to get it done, and he got it done. It took a new destination to do it. That was an easy one, at least for me to root for, even though I had a big 49er ticket going into the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, Stafford's an amazing guy. I, I, I love it. And a lot of people might not know this, but he really was Mahomes before Mahomes. I mean, it was a first-round baseball prospect out mm-hmm. of Georgia. I mean, he could throw that ball over a mountain. And it, he had so much success statistically in Detroit, right, with Megatron mm-hmm. and, and, and through his prime as well. But he never just got the job done you know he never he never went the whole way and and that's where you really have to appreciate the team as a as an entirety like the entire unit you know the offensive line that was the first person he hugged i don't know if after the game mcveigh went right over there to their their captain their their tackle and then and uh, uh stafford big old hug and then right away stafford went over to donnell and i mean it's just it's a team it's a team. You might talk and we put so much pressure and so much media attention on these quarterbacks, but he didn't have anybody else. Yeah. He did not have a defense. He had nobody. And you can't do it yourself. It's just like, you know, I, I could go score 56 points in a game. I'm still going to lose by seven. Like, it just it doesn't work that way. And so it's great to see a good guy do good things. And, and they, they showed a picture of his wife and some of the stuff that they've had to go through and and, and their entire circle was up in their box. And, I mean, everybody was bawling. Everybody knew what this meant to everybody. And it's just really cool to see a good guy get, get good success. 
Rams, Cincinnati, just like we had it before the season, right? You had that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That was it. We Let me look that. back at my notes. That was an easy one. That yep, was an that easy was one. one. We'll knock that out. Currently, the Rams are a four-point uh, favorite across the board. Open at four most spots last night. Moved down to three and a half. Bump back up to four. We'll see over the next couple of weeks what this plays in as we got 13 days before Super Bowl 56. With that, we're due for a timeout. We're going to talk some Hawkeyes coming up on the other side. Scott Dockerman will join us. Iowa on the road tonight for Penn State. Ohio State then on Thursday, a two-game road trip for the Hawkeyes for the next five on the road for the Hawks. An important stretch for them as they try to keep their heads above water for the NCAA tournament. Talk that, talk a little football as well with Scott Dockerman from The Athletic coming up. Before that, let's try to give you a $1,000 time for our $1,000 slam dunk. Go to KXNO.com. Just when you get there, you'll see a little pop-up, jump up, and you put in the keyword. The keyword for this hour is win. W-I-N-K-X-N-O.com. Your chance at $1,000. Coming back with more on the other side. Talking Hawkeyes with Scott Dockerman next on 106.3 Local Sports. Back to Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Got the 80s rock going. That means it's time for Scott Dockerman. Miller and Condon here, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. John Lamb in for the vacationing Ken Miller. Ken will be back tomorrow for the show. Gets back this afternoon, and he'll be back in the hot seat. John, you little, ready to talk a little Hawkeye hoops and football? I have never been more prepared. All right. I love that. Love to hear it. Love to you <laughs> get you fired up and talking a little Hawks here. And an important one. Before we get to that, Doc, and talk some basketball, though, with you, first of all, thanks for joining us today. You covered Kansas City Chiefs football for a long time. We've talked about this plenty of times in the past, but boy, the way that one played out, it's an organization that got over the hump, of course, won the Super Bowl a couple of years back, but it felt very much like the Kansas City Chiefs of old, if you will, getting there, everything going their way, and then all the end of the first half and the second half happened. Your takeaway from what you saw, because I know you're watching. Yeah, I was definitely watching, and I I would probably start with, but it seemed like at the end of the first half that they got a little bit fat, um, if you want to say that, which is they were up 11 points. They got mm-hmm. greedy, uh, tried to get that uh, that last touchdown, and, and Patrick Mahomes made a really bad decision to try to throw wide. It got tackled and went into, into the locker room that way. And then in the locker room, it almost I think when they came out in the second half, it was almost like, yeah, you got that thing wrapped up. And Cincinnati was not about to let that happen, and Joe Burrow's got major swag. I think you, we can all attest to that. So, um, you know, it, yeah, it was. It's if the Chiefs hadn't been to the Super Bowl two straight years and won one of them, this would go down as one of those epic Chiefs collapses. And I was at um, one of them for sure, and that was the the 2003 playoff game against the Colts, oh, where yeah. oh, uh, wow. either team punted, you uh-huh. know. But then you had the others in the 90s that were even probably more devastating, especially 97. So, uh, yeah, this is this was not a good look or feel for this team. And, and they've got to kind of reassess uh, some things about where, where they stand on probably both sides of the ball. Yeah, it's, it's difficult, too, because guys are getting paid. Of course, Mahomes has already got his contract, but you figure things out. I mentioned how long can Kelsey continue to play at this level? Tyreek Hill built differently than what you think about that prototypical, you know, receiver that sticks around in for 12 13 years in the nfl little guy as it takes one injury and all of a sudden that speed goes away on and on and on 
it's a scary proposition for Kansas City, and I think also just shows you they were the best team for really the last three months of the season, but it's still football. It's still the NFL, and as we know, anything can happen. It's so different than what you cover in the college game. <laughs> sure thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of it was offensively they just struggled in so many different areas, and it was, it was kind of perplexing. And you wonder uh, if, if they could use a, a running back from, you know, originally from the Wichita area to really take over ah. their primary running back. So wow. uh, I, I would say that would be a good lift for them because in the second half, um, Cincinnati just seemed to, to be able to clamp down on them on the passing game. And, and they didn't have any, you know, that kind of that counterpunch, the, the running game to rely on. So they did a really nice job last year, I thought, of bulking up the offensive line. I think, you know, you've got to look ahead to the future, as you said, with Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey, how much longer they could play it at an elite level. But I also think uh, the right now is maybe having that maybe having that running back that can they can get those yards. I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has been really good for them, but, but I don't think he's been elite or first-round capable. So maybe, uh, maybe somebody 30 miles north of where you're at would be a really good fit for them. <laughs> Brees Hall makes a whole lot of sense there. Yeah, and you wonder what kind of pick it's going to take. We'll find out when the draft combine comes. And Doc, are you making your way back to Indy this year? Are they allowing uh, people from the media back in? Because I know that's one of your favorite events of the season. Yeah, I'm going to be there. I'll be there the whole time. So, yeah, I'll get a chance. Hopefully we'll have uh, in-person availability. That's probably some of my favorites of the year because they're much more open than they are in college, and there's a lot more. A lot more to discuss, so uh, yeah, I'm planning to go there again this year. Scott Doctorman, you became a part of the national scene. Of course, you write for a national publication in The Athletic, but your conversation with Gary Barta and the conversation leading to the possibility that the Big Ten doing away with divisions in the foreseeable future, going from nine games down to eight. Let's start, though, just with the possibility of divisions go away. What do you know? What did Barta say? And is this something, it's always rumored. Every time we go to Chicago for Big Ten Media Days, it feels like every Penn State writer, that's all they want to talk about, doing away with the divisions because they just have it too tough out there. I'd argue, wherever you put Ohio State, that's going to be the toughest division, at least as we see it currently. And for Iowa, you play in a division that kind of is your brethren, one that you actually can win. Doing away with it, how big of an impact would that mean in your mind for Iowa football going forward? Well, there's a lot of great questions you have there, Trent, and I, I, I agree. I mean, there's really like eight different tentacles involved here, and yeah. as you said, you know, Penn State, uh, part of the problem with the Penn State, Michigan in most years, Michigan State as well, is that they have that seismic roadblock just to get to Indianapolis, and that's Ohio State. And Ohio State tilts any division. I mean, they could, you could throw the six weakest sisters of the Big Ten with them, and they're still going to tilt the outcome in, in its favor just because of how dominant it is. So I understand that the thought of let's eliminate divisions to try to get the two best teams there because in some years uh, you might have a, a Penn State, a Michigan, Michigan State be the second best team. Uh, and then in a lot of years you'll have a, a Wisconsin or an Iowa. I don't think that's really out of the realm of possibility. So I think in some ways we, um, I it would be fair. It'd be just like it was, say, in the before Nebraska joined the Big Ten. But when you look specifically for Iowa, I mean, the West Division is kind of tailored for Iowa. Yeah. It's got every border foe that it plays every year, and then Purdue, which is just across the Iowa-Illinois border. So, um, you know, but I think the, the positive somewhat would be is 
you play some of those other teams with regularity, and there hasn't been enough enough games with uh, with Michigan State or Ohio State or or uh, Michigan in recent years, and you continue to play Penn State on a regular basis. So that that's part of it. Uh, but I think if everybody gets three rivals protected, Iowa's pretty simple and cut and dried. Um, but some others are, are much more difficult to, to kind of project. I think uh, you know you, you'll get a pretty balanced schedule, and you'll get you know balanced with your rivalries on a consistent basis. Get Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, Wisconsin to be their three protected rivals. You'd figure. How about the eight conference games going forward? My concern would be. And maybe it's not a huge concern. And looking forward to what the playoff era is going to be, the 12-team playoff more than likely, unfortunately, uh, later rather than sooner on that front. But when you look forward to that, how you break a tie? Three teams that go 6-2. and two. The Buckeyes are 8-0, of course. They, they go 8-0, and, and you're figuring out who they're going to play. And there's three 6-2 and two teams. You're playing yourselves less. You don't have that division to kind of separate, if you will. The tiebreaker scenarios that are going to play out and getting there. And a team like Michigan, say they're... 10-1 going into that final game. They lose to Ohio State, then have to play them again and lose for a second consecutive week, and they're all of a sudden 10-3. and They're probably not in a 12-team playoff in their scenario. It does feel like there are some problems that could crop up from this. Am I crazy? No. Well, about this, no. In general, I don't know. Like, I'll let your people know you better acknowledge that. <laughs> uh, but... But no, I think you're, you've got a good point, and that is a concern. If you go to eight games, is um, you know the years where you maybe you have three seven and one teams, or as you said, you know one eight and zero and, and three six and twos. What are the tiebreakers? Obviously, head to head among those will be the um, the first um, criteria, and then you know I, I think another one should be um, who played the the number one team you know and how you, your result sure. was i mean if you didn't play or if you lost then maybe you, you you're not in that discussion but if you didn't play then maybe you are right? you know i i think they're hopefully there are smart people who figure those out i mean that's really getting down the, the list of of reasons why i mean part of the the factors also are uh the alliance you know what what games are going to be available if you go to eight games that's that means that you're going to probably have at minimum one alliance game per year mm-hmm. it's it's not going to be a mandated two by any stretch because you look at uh some of the other teams like in the ACC uh Louisville, Clemson, Florida State, uh their Georgia Tech they're not going to forfeit their in-state rivalry to play two alliance games and likewise I wouldn't expect that to be the case in the Big 10 either uh, but that's going to be a factor in, in what they do if they go to eight or nine, because Iowa's pretty landlocked, as we know. And then uh, college football playoffs, because uh, if you're Ohio State and you already play usually a, a marquee opponent in non-conference play, and then you drop from eight and get a Clemson, and then next thing you know, you're playing Clemson, Georgia, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, maybe Wisconsin or Iowa in, in some sort of game, and you lose two games, in a four-team playoff, you're not getting in. That's just the way it's been, even if you may be one of the best teams and you have a brutal schedule. So I think those are some things they want to factor in. I think that's the biggest reason for the timetable right now to wait is to find out the course of the college football playoff because if you have 12 teams, if you're a conference champion, you're going to be in Big Ten, and you're probably going to get a bye. And, uh, but, you know, then you said, as you mentioned, the back end, you lose three games. Maybe you won't be, but a lot of times play uh, – championship teams haven't been losers haven't been penalized when it comes to 
the the New Year's Six, and I don't know that they would be again for the for the playoff going forward. That makes a lot of sense. Scott Dockerman joining us from The Athletic. Doc, big one tonight in basketball. I'll let my partner today, John Lamb, take over here. Hawkeyes, Penn State. What do you got, John? Oh, I got a couple of things since we're talking Big Ten scheduling. Scott, hey, John Lamb here. What, if anything, would you change schedule-wise on the basketball front? That's a great question. I think in some ways they did do some tweaking a few years ago when they went up to 20, and that was all in-state rivalries will be played twice per year. Yep. And then the, the four the other sections, Iowa being among them, and the force them out here, you play uh, you know five times over three years. So you get one year off, and that's the Wisconsin-Iowa only plays once this year. I don't know that I would change much about it. Um, you know, you'd like to you'd like to play your rivals more regularly. I would argue that historically based Iowa's biggest basketball rival is Illinois, but Illinois is in the same state as Northwestern, so it doesn't get to play very much. So I don't know that I could change much when you, when you play twenty games. If I, I think it'd be more fair to go to eighteen, but a lot of people want to go divisional play, but you can't do that because the power base of, of basketball in this league is in the middle. And Indiana, yeah. Purdue, Illinois, they go both ways. Their rivals are Ohio State and Illinois if you're Purdue or mm-hmm. Indiana or Michigan. So you can't really go uh, division. So I think it's probably about right to where it should be. I'd agree with you. Yeah, that's good stuff there. Doc, it's Penn State. It's a road trip. It's a huge building that there's going to be nobody in. It's a Monday night game. It's going to be a terrible environment tonight. And it feels like these sometimes are the more difficult games to get ready for and, and get fired up. But you look at the schedule and the way it breaks down, you're going to have an upset Ohio State team after the way they fell yesterday to Purdue coming up on the road on Thursday. It's not must-win. It's January 31st, but it kind of feels must-win, Doc. It's a very important game. And that's what Iowa has had to face all year is, that um, as long as you continue to lose those games against better teams, you really leave yourself no out against the ones that aren't as good. And that is if you lose at home to Purdue, which I thought Iowa played a really hard game, a really good game, and it just didn't, you know, Purdue's a better team. Let's just put it that way. Uh, But that means, okay, well, you're going to have to go beat Penn State. You know, this week you go on the road to to Ohio State on – and that's going to be a really tough opponent and a tough atmosphere. And, you, and if you lose, there's no sin in that. But that means you're going to have to beat Minnesota on, on Sunday. So you lose the ability to have a mulligan. And that's really tough for a team like Iowa. Now, I would say, so tonight isn't must win, but it's really important. I, I would say Ohio State's not must win uh, until you start to get to the end of the season. Then those games start to matter a little bit more. But Iowa's still in decent shape when it comes to net. It's a 23 but in the Big Ten, you know, they're four and five. And, uh, you know, this is the halfway point, and they've got to make some moves. So uh, this, this game is important. And as you said, I've been there seven or eight times. Most of the time it's, it's, a, it's a wasteland. You can hear the ball echo. And, uh, and they play, they used to under Pat Chambers, very, very physical basketball. And so they, they'd, after a while they'd stop calling that, and that always seemed to impact Iowa in a negative way. So I, I think – this is a game where Iowa, the Murrays in particular, really have to assert themselves to be um, to, to give themselves a chance to win in what, what could be a fairly close game, I think, by the end of it. You mentioned the Murrays, and of course we know Keegan, All-American, playing at a high level, going to be a lottery pick. But Chris, we've seen a couple of monster games. He played well against Purdue, had the game against Indiana. You look at this guy, and the physical attributes that he has, the ability to shoot the basketball, play inside and out, defend big guys, play, defend guys on the perimeter. 
I've argued this, Doc, that for Iowa to hit their highest level, to make a run, to be a Sweet 16 team, in order for that to happen, Chris Murray has to be the second best player on the team behind his brother. A, what you think of that, and secondly, Fray McCaffrey can allow that to happen at least minutes-wise and get him out there 28 minutes a game. Yeah, that that's a both are good points. I I would say that I'm not so sure that he has to be number two. I think he has to be in the top four. I do think Patrick McCaffrey and Jordan Mohannon have to be in there too. They just need somebody, and probably two somebodies that can really bounce off Keegan Murray and do something when he's getting doubled or he's getting defended really difficult or he's just having a bad night. Uh, shooting the ball, that they need other people to step up around them and, and be consistent to just spread that around. And uh, and Chris has been that way a few times, and then a few times he hasn't. So I, I think he needs to have more minutes. Uh, does it? Uh, you know, it, it's really a, a byproduct in some ways of how the game's shaping up. But I do think he needs to be out there more often. And I. And, but then, who do you take off? I think Patrick McCaffrey's played really well, and and he's a different type of player that really plays well alongside Joe Toussaint and Keegan Murray and and uh, Philip Rabraca at times has played well and and I think you know Chris Murray doesn't necessarily have to start but I think he has to be out there probably at least 25 minutes to be effective and and the other one is Joe Toussaint his minutes have been really up and down and I'd like to see more of him to work through some of the difficulties he has because I think he's He's a difference maker when he's really at a high level, and, and the only way he can do that is to be out there. There's a lot of times where he makes it to maybe the second media timeout, and then he leaves the floor, and then next thing you know, he's out for another eight minutes, and you're like, well, what's going on here? And, uh, you know, I think he needs to be out on the floor more often, too. I think so. I think you're spot on. Yeah, Tucson, he is so fun to watch. And, yeah, he has that quick hook, though, and when he makes some mistakes, it feels like maybe his leash isn't quite as long as some of the other players out there. And you're right, Ulysses. Had some good moments early in the year. He maybe has not developed, though, at the point that you'd hope for where he's out there. You're basically splitting minutes with them at the point. I'm with you there, Doc. I think a good point on Tucson. We'll get you out on this. You were in Carver on Friday night for the wrestling duel against Penn State. Of course, Iowa comes up short, 19-13, the final. But just tell us about the environment because on TV, boy, that thing was popping. Oh, man, it was wild. It was really wild. And I think if Iowa would have won one of those close matches, the big one, uh, I think that place would have been set off. I I had my decibel reader out, and it was a 116 when DeSanto got an escape. What? <laughs> so, you know, just to see, you know, it was deafening, and to see all the the, the, the fire, the pyrotechnics, the, the atmosphere, the, the how loud it was, it was just, it was out of this world. So, um, it, yeah, it was unfortunate if Iowa could have pulled out, you know, even the, um, you know, the Jacob Warner um, match where he was up three to nothing, then lost eight to three. I think they could have done something, but but I think what at, what it showed is that Penn State is the the team to beat now, and because uh, they won the close matches and they were very very tight. But you you gotta you know when you win, the, you know the other team has to match you, and and they won those you know in the finals last year, and they won them again on Friday night. So I think uh, Iowa's got some work to do uh, to put itself in position to you know, compete on that final Saturday night for the for the national title. Great as always, Scott Dockerman from the Athletic Talking Hawks. What do you got coming up this week on the Athletic? Well, we got some recruiting news, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got the Sean uh, Lee uh, committed to the Iowa yesterday. Uh, that was something we weren't 
quite expecting, but then going in the weekend, you had one of those late Phil Parker specials. So, <laughs> you know, today I wrote the top 10 late uh, commits for the Hawkeyes uh, within two days of the February signing period over the last 10 years. And there are some really good ones on that list. And then, and then ultimately I'll, I'll kind of break down some of the recruiting uh, the rest of this week and, and then kind of turn the page next week and look forward. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Scott Docterman from The Athletic here with us. Always enjoy that conversation. Doc does such a great job. Iowa, Penn State, 6 o'clock tip tonight for the Hawkeyes on the road, the wrestling meet. John, you're a basketball guy, but you're into it. We got over there after we finish up our high school duties. We're able to watch the end of the meet, and you're getting into the wrestling. Oh my gosh, it was unbelievable. I mean, there you could feel the juice in that yeah. arena. You know, I mean, everybody. I learned about the toss of the brick, the <laughs> the intensity in which Sanderson and Brands operate at. I mean, it is. That was that was unbelievable. I'm hooked. I'm hooked. I ordered my Hawkeye uh, wrestling hoodie, <laughs> and I'm in. I'm He's in, in for life. That's John Lamb. I'm Trent Condon, Miller and Condon here. Ken, back with us tomorrow, but we still got a little over an hour left here with John. We'll come back, put a cap on our number one, then get into college basketball from a national scene. Rob Dostner set to join us here at about 11.05. Back with more on the other side. Miller and Condon continues. Statefairgrounds.org for tickets. Wrapping up our number one, Miller and Condon continues on KXNO. Trent Condon, John Lamb here with you. Talking college basketball coming up with Rob Doster from the field of 68 here to kick off our number two. But, John, our last couple of minutes here, Loyola comes to town, the favorites in the MVC, and now their second loss in the last three games is the Doggies do it. Drake, a nice victory, and kind of coasted in that one. I was surprised of... The ease it felt like the Bulldogs got it done yesterday. Yeah, I mean, coast might be a tough word to to me to write on, but uh, I was very impressed with the Bulldogs. Very impressed. And we've seen it the last few games that we, uh, we've we talked about, whether it be the Iowa State, Oklahoma State, the Iowa-Purdue um, game. Loyola shot the ball very poorly. Mm-hmm. They were 6-for-23 from three. They just didn't get the job done. And then on the flip side, Drake shooting 43% at that game, 6 for 14. So they're taking good shots. They're not settling. That's one thing I noticed throughout the entire evening. And you can see the unsettle by the free throw discrepancy. 12 free throws to 28. I mean, that's just getting a piece of the paint. That's getting the job done. They uh, The Bulldogs sped up Loyola for 16 turnovers. Really impressed by the Bulldogs. And even more impressed by that arena. Yeah, it was... It, it's the hometown team, baby. It was good. Bulldogs are back. Look great. Tied for first now in the MVC. Drake and Loyola at 7-3. and You and I in Missouri State a half game back at 7-3. and three. Hour down, hour to go on Miller.